Hey everyone, welcome again to the Bat-Ass Podcast, the Batman the Animated Series Show podcast where we talk about Batman the Animated Series. My name is Clay McCormick and with me as always is Sean Murphy. How are you doing, Sean? Hey, dude, I'm so glad to be back. I mean, we're under quarantine now and this gives me something like a social outlet, you know? I know, everything. everything's turning to uh, uh, Skype and, and video calls now. I thought... I, I thought it was really funny how for years, you know, it, they they kept pushing video calling for years mm-hmm. as like the future technology that's in all sci-fi stuff. Don't you want to live in the future? But no one wanted to use right. it because, you know, as soon as people can see what you look like when you're talking to them, you have to care about what you look like when you're talking on the phone. Yeah. Uh, but exactly. now uh, I guess it took one pandemic to push us into Blade Runner. So. One of the many things that, uh, yeah, Total Recall got wrong until now. Yes, yeah. It's funny. I actually wish I had bought stock in Zoom before all oh, this know, because right. the amount of like plugging, free plugging Zoom is getting, it's like we should do a Zoom thing, a Zoom drink, a Zoom this, a Zoom that. It's, it's, I don't know why Skype missed the boat on this or how Zoom came into favor. Yeah, I had, <laughs> I had never even heard of it until this happened. So. Yeah. Same Which here. is uh, fairly suspicious if you ask me. Oh boy, someone here we go. I've been a flat earther. Check on whether or not there's a connection, but that's for a different show. I think it's a Chinese company. Well, there you go. Specialized in bad experimentation. <laughs> Case close. Do you think there's a connection? <laughs> Speaking of bad experimentation. Hey, hey, I got us there. <laughs> we are uh, uh, we're back for season 3. Sorry we've been gone for so long. Uh lots of things going on and whatnot. Um but yeah, we're back for season three, which I'm excited about because, uh, uh, especially with these episodes, because mm. these first two that we'll be doing will be uh, Shadow of the Bat Part One and Part Two. So we're going to take a quick break and then we'll come back and talk about those. Shadow of the Bat, part one and part two, uh, written by, you know what, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm going to fuck this up if I don't look, so give me two seconds and I'll do that again. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I'll fill in the, the silence with some really interesting, this actually made me think a lot about Batgirl, who I never thought in a lot about until recently when I was asked to write her mm-hmm. and to ex- expand on her. And I actually, um, I'm putting together a pitch now for a Batgirl story and I'm starting off with like what the hell do I want to say about Batgirl? And I talked to two people that really helped me and I'll get into this later. Um, but yeah, I've, I've had her on my mind a lot lately. So it's kind of uh, really helpful that this episode popped up exactly when it did. Well, that's great. We'll definitely have to talk about that. Cause uh, yeah, I, I've always been a fan of the character and I'm glad to see her in the show. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so shadow of the bat part one and part two, both written by Bryn Stevens, both directed by Frank power. And in these episodes, when Commissioner Gordon is framed for taking bribes from Rupert Thorne, his daughter Barbara pleads with Batman to show up at a rally being put on in the Commissioner's behalf. But when Batman disappears after finding the person behind the frame-up, Barbara takes the law into her own hands as Batgirl. Robin discovers mm. that Gil Mason is in league with the Underworld and goes to investigate him. He encounters Batgirl along the way and go their separate ways to stop Mason. That's... I, you know, I yeah. thought it was it was doing so well in that first half, but the second one could have been restructured <laughs> a little bit better. Have you ever written a Wikipedia entry? I I don't. I, don't, I wouldn't even no. know how to. I'm 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 old in that respect. 
They yeah. then meet <laughs> again to learn that Gil is working. Sorry, I thought you were with... done. <laughs> no, sorry. <it's> <laughs> they then meet again to learn that Gil is working with Two Face to take out Gordon and have Batman as Mattress Malone captured. This episode marks the series debut of Barbara Gordon as Batgirl. Mm. Um, yeah, we talked she, a little bit about. Was... What's that? Yeah, she was she was Barbara before, right? Yeah, we We've talked a little her. bit about her as Barbara when she showed up once or twice in the last season. Yeah, right. But, but uh, this is the first. This is her first outing as Batgirl, and uh, it's actually kind of funny because uh, third season of Batman in nineteen sixty six is when they added Batgirl to that as well. Oh yeah, um, I didn't, and I didn't know that uh, recently. Yeah, and her character actually. The Barbara Gordon iteration of Batgirl, I think I mentioned this when we talked about her initially, but we may as well talk about it again. Mm -hmm. uh, she debuted in January of 1967 in Detective Comics, and it was a direct result of her appearance on the Batman Adam West TV show that they brought her into right. the comics, which is, which is pretty interesting because that's, that's a pretty substantial uh, addition to Batman, yeah. you know? Yeah, it's funny that no one thought of that sooner. Like, look at he's endangering a young male child, Why yeah. not a female. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I, I think, and she, she existed. A character called um, Betty Kane was introduced in 1961 by Bill Finger and Sheldon Moldoff as Bat Dash Girl, and I Ugh. believe, if I remember correctly, I think she was actually the the daughter of Batman and Robin. Catwoman. Yeah, and Robin. <laughs> um, she's either the daughter of Batman and Catwoman or the daughter of I don't remember. I I can't. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, she she didn't last that long. Was not super popular. Replaced by Barbara Gordon. And Barbara Gordon right. is a much makes much more sense. I think as yeah. a character. And uh, yeah. Batgirl has been multiple characters over the years. She has been Barbara Gordon. She's been a character named Cassandra Kane for a while in the nineties. Uh, then she was Stephanie Brown for a while, but she is now once again uh, mm -hmm. Barbara Gordon after a lengthy stint in a wheelchair after getting paralyzed by the Joker in Alan Moore's The Killing mm -hmm. Joke, famously. Um, mm -hmm. And there's always a big debate over what is the preferred version of Batgirl, I'm sorry, of Barbara Gordon, whether it's Batgirl or whether it's as Oracle. And, uh, you know, I think they're both pretty cool characters in their own right. But um, yeah. I don't know a lot about Oracle, honestly. I uh, I teased it in Curse of the White Knight. Mm -hmm. I had her in a wheelchair. Her back got sort of busted up, and I I decided I had murdered so many characters and done so many shitty things to these people. I should probably have <laughs> some some kind of levity here. So back back row bounces back, which ended up being a thing that my um, the back row editor told me is that's one of her favorite things about back row is back girl gets she falls down but she always gets back up. That's kind of her yeah. thing. Yeah. Which I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't think about that. Yeah, and one of the great things about her as Oracle, I mean, not to turn it into a comics podcast, but is is that she is someone who is so capable and then is literally her legs are taken away from her and she has to figure out how to remain capable and be arguably be even more capable in her new situation. It's it's right. a, it's a good setup for for good stories. Yeah. I never read or knew much about the I think it was the late nineties version of Batgirl her face is all covered in leather. Yeah, that's uh, the Cassandra Kane version. Yeah, that's right. Do you know anything about that? Um, I know that she, uh, from what I remember, she was a mute for a long time, and she is the daughter of 
some another guy named Kane who was like the leader mm-hmm. of the League of Assassins and is one of the guys who trained Batman. So she's got this like uh, okay. supervillain lineage and she's like an amazing fighter and stuff. Right. I never right. Really, I didn't read a ton of it when she was Batgirl. Yeah, no, I looked at that and I just rolled my eyes just because I'm like, oh, you can't see her face. It's just so dark in S&M. And, you know, I didn't give it a chance, honestly. It might be really good for all I know. I Alex, just... Alex Maleev designed costume. Oh, really? Great. Well, next yeah. time I hang out with Alex, I'll have to answer for that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, getting into the episode, uh, how, do, how, do you, how do you like this one? Uh, I liked it a lot. This, this was always a standout for me, and I, the, the, the theme song always stood out to me, just this very clear, like, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. I mean, mm. I thought it was, it was great. And uh, I like how I don't really know a lot about her before this episode, and I, I don't honestly think I knew Batgirl was a, a thing until I saw this show. And again, I was like 12 or 13. Uh, and I thought, oh, well, I guess it makes sense that there's a Batgirl, just like there's a Robin. I didn't watch the Adam West stuff, so I wasn't aware of the character at all. And um, mm. and I was young enough to just kind of accept anything the show showed me. But I had never really thought that the universe needed a Batgirl either. And as a 12-year-old male, I think my first thought was, Eh, I don't know. She's a girl. I don't care about <laughs> girls. This is dumb. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I, I do remember thinking the episode was really well done, especially uh, the action scene with the flooding subway and uh, you yeah, know, animation-wise. Yeah. There's so many great things happening here. And I didn't really realize that I really liked Batgirl a lot until I started writing her. And she ended up being one of the sort of um, surprises to my, in my script, I'm like, man, I really like writing Barbara Gordon. I never really knew I gave a shit about her until I started to use her as the heart of the team, you know, the one who's balanced her dad's alive. Well, mm. at least in every other Batman book. <laughs> <laughs> but what about you? What's your history with her? Um, I, 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 I watched the 66 show when I was younger, so I had always been aware of her. Um, yeah. So it wasn't really out of... Uh, at all that strange when she showed up in the cartoon i it was mm-hmm. it was more or less expected um but i i don't think i had seen these episodes in god 20 years yeah. um and i th- i really liked them i liked them a lot i the the two things that i really liked about this you know you, you, the animation was great mm-hmm. uh, a lot of great action but um story wise the things that i really liked were that uh her reason for dressing up as bat mm-hmm. as well dressing up as batman essentially right um was in service of her dad so she's like uh, batman is yeah. has rejected her uh request for to show up in support of gordon so she takes it on herself to do it right um that's important and too. i also yeah and i also really like that she's not good at it right away yeah, I, has... I forgot she fumbled. She like grabs this banner to get out of the way of a car. She accidentally pulls the banner down and blinds the car and stops them from getting away at first. Like she's actually she fumbles into it, but she actually manages to help out in her own way. Yeah, I always I always appreciate that when when you've got characters who are not uh, inherently yeah um, super soldiers, for lack of a better term, like someone who doesn't have Batman's training trying to do what Batman does and not being really good at yeah. it, yeah. Um, but but being good enough that she can eventually get the job done. I, I always right. like that stuff. I like they introduce her on the, uh, the gymnast beam doing some back rolls and mm. stuff. So you know that she's flexible and got the basics there. Um, 
somehow she gets her hands on a grappling hook and is able to swing from building yeah, to building, which she, you know, she, she, I don't even know. She at some point she goes through like a dark office and gets a grappling hook and some smoke bombs. And I don't know. I, I must have missed it because I don't know where the hell she was. Yeah. But she just opened like a desk drawer and pulled out two smoke grenades. Yeah. That's the thing. Like in the movies and the comics and some of the shows, like it's always Robin or Alfred sneaky giving sneaking her a few items that she can use, mm-hmm. helping her fill her bat belt with some things i guess um well as it was explained to me by the batgirl editor um you know the reason that she likes batgirl she sort of elbowed her way into the boys club right and uh batman never really drafted her she just sort of insisted on showing up and it was up to robin or nightwing or alfred to help her become included right right yeah i've you know i've always found that interesting because i i mean obviously once you prove yourself, you prove yourself. But if I was Batman, I feel like I would be entirely in the right to say to her, listen, you can't, you can't just do this. This is, you know, like if if Robin and I mean, maybe Robin and Alfred just kind of don't take it as seriously as Batman does, but there's, I, I would understand if Batman was consistently kind of annoyed that, that Batgirl Mm -hmm. kept showing up. Yeah. Um, but again, if she's getting the job done, she's getting the job done. What the hell? But and knowing that she's Gordon's daughter, and not knowing whether or not Gordon knows at first, yeah. there's kind of a liability there. I mean, things are already <laughs> a little unusual as it is. <laughs> yeah, and I, that's why I always find I think that's another uh, one of the the reason I love Barbara Gordon as Batgirl is because of that dichotomy you have where it's it's built in. It's built in perfectly as a superhero alter ego mm-hmm. problem that she is mm-hmm. uh, Barbara Go- uh, that she's Jim Gordon's daughter, right? Um, you know the as as you kind of got into a little bit in Curse of the White Knight. Mm-hmm. If it turns out if people find out that she is helping be a vigilante, this could invalidate like every case Jim Gordon has ever ever closed. You know, right? Yeah, it's, it's a That's big deal. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I can't say what I'm doing now, but I am writing and pitching the Batgirl story. Um, so I, I did what I always do, and I, I, I don't dive into the comics at all. I just ask people around me who know more about the characters what what they want to see. <laughs> so I reached hey, out. That's to- that's how I got it. That's how I got through high school and college. So. <laughs> I'm like, because I'm like, all right. So I, I know about Batgirl from the animated series. I didn't really give a shit about Batgirl, and I started writing. Uh, White Knight, I realized. I do give a shit about Batgirl. She's awesome. Um, I seem to get some things right. I had a lot of female readers telling me I got it right. A lot of male readers, too, which, you know, they're obviously important as well. Uh, when they asked me to write Batgirl, uh, and they wanted, like, a romance twist, I was like, what makes you think I would write good romance? And my editor, she says, well, you know, you've got, like, Batman and Harley and you know it's unusual for men to write compelling romance but I think you're just sort of naturally good at it and I was like offended but thankful all at the same time I'm like I'm not good at romance you're good at romance it's just not a thing that I necessarily set out to do you um, you specifically intended to write a shitty romantic <laughs> story in yeah. Curse of the White Knight and you honestly just fell backwards into it <laughs> I mean, with the first one, it was the love story between Joker and Batman, where right. Joker thinks he's in a relationship, Batman doesn't, and Joker breaks up with Batman, gets mad, 
takes his lover's revenge on him. Mm-hmm. They end up having mm-hmm. a, a shirtless fighting scene on top of a roof, and they settle the old-fashioned way. Yeah. Uh, what, what do you mean in Curse? What did I... What, oh, what no, I was, I, was just, I was just talking about the Harley and Batman thing in Curse of the White Knight. Oh, yeah. I remember telling you very early on, like, I think I can get them together, and you're like, don't do that. There's no way. There's no way at all. You can't do that. And I remember asking yeah. you, like, I think I have a scene where the, it makes sense for them maybe to kiss, and you were like, uh-uh, don't do it. Like, nope. You were no. you were impressed that I had taken it so far, but you're definitely hitting the brakes on me on them kissing. Yeah, I think. And so did my wife, my, by the way. Yeah, my my uh, my personal preference is for that not to happen. <laughs> At least not in that yeah. book, anyway. I personally, I don't like it when Batman kisses in costume. I just think it's fucking weird looking. Yeah. <laughs> and I yeah. know, like Jim Lee draws an amazing Batman Catwoman kissing in the rain. I just, I just no, I can't do it. I don't know what it is. I like it. I like the Neil Adams stuff where he makes out with Talia Al Ghul, but he doesn't have a shirt on, but he has the mask on still. That's so different. he's got, he's yes, got the, for some reason this that's okay. Glorious, glorious chest hair, <laughs> but he's still got his mask on because yeah. you know you can't. It, you got to keep some mystery alive in oh, man. relationships, you know. So uh, I I talked to my friend who edits Batgirl books, and I talked to my editor on Curse, not not you, my my number round two editor, which is my actually my DC editor Maggie Hell, mm-hmm. and um. I got a bunch of notes on Batgirl, and I discovered that some really interesting things about this. One is she gets hit. She always gets back up. That's her thing. Um, she has a cocky attitude. She's feisty. She's able to be fiery and feisty in a way that she wouldn't be able to do as a cop. So if she wore a badge, right. she wouldn't be able to, to give pushback like she does. By being a vigilante, she's able to express herself this way, which is interesting, which comes to the next point. Why is she dressed up as a vigilante and not just become a cop like her dad? And you can dive into that whoever you want, depending on your flavor of Batgirl. I haven't really mm. decided yet, personally. And then the mm. third thing is, okay, so she's going to be a vigilante. Why not come up with her own character, like, you know, Ranger Girl or Ginger Woman or something? <laughs> Redheaded yeah, chick, gi- whatever. Yeah, Ginger Woman, yes. <laughs> really thinking outside the box with that one. Oh, man, my Australian friend, Ranger is what you call a redheaded girl in Australia. I don't know if that's offensive or not. If it is, I apologize. But I don't know it's actually, Ranger is actually not a bad superhero name. Ranger? As, as long as it's, yeah, as long as it's not offensive, it's kind of, it's kind of cool sounding. I, yeah, we'll have to make sure that's not like the N-word in Australia for redheads. Yeah, please, let's check on that before I put this out. <laughs> um, so she wants to be vigilante. Um, but why dress up as Batman? And for that reason, why didn't Robin become Bat Boy? Why become mm-hmm. the Robin? Why why any of these questions? And there's no straight answer. You can go however which way you want with it, which is interesting. And then it gets into further stuff like why does she live with her dad? Is her dad divorced? Did she choose to live with her dad over her mom? Is this mm-hmm. a version of Gordon who cheated on her mom? Did her mom die? So, I mean, there's like 10 different things you need to decide on before you can really start to write the character. And I honestly haven't decided on those things. So I don't know what your thoughts are on all that. But I, when I started asking around about Batgirl, I got a lot more than I thought I would. And I'm really glad I asked because I don't think my straight white brain, my mind man brain would have necessarily asked these questions, you know? <laughs> <laughs> she just, she loves steak and uh, weightlifting. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and chains. She, she never ch- heavy, heavy chains. She never asked for directions. <laughs> that's what the Ranger does. <laughs> We're just going to um, assume that's a, that's not offensive. <laughs> yeah, there's going to be a lot of bleeping in this one if it is. 
Um, yeah. Well, what, what I what I like about this this episode is, like, as I was saying, the reason that she picks Batman is like she's she never intends to become a vigilante. She exactly. sort of falls backwards into it. Yeah, exactly. And then just commits to it, which I think is a lot of fun because it's. You know, I think it does fit her personality really well because you do see that she's, you know, she's got a, a little bit of an edge to her. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, she is th- the thing that is at, at stake here is her father's life, essentially. Right. And um, so she's kind of falls backwards into this this Batgirl thing. And she she continues down that road in order to um help clear her dad's name instead of taking the time to head down to the brand manager yeah. to get a, <laughs> a, a a new outfit. Yeah, and, to uh, Brandon Brandanowitz, whatever. Yeah, Brandon Brandanowitz. <laughs> um, and what the other thing that I really love is that she never really, uh, like, there's nothing sycophantic about her. Like, she's not trying to prove anything to Batman or Robin. Um she's just there also trying to help clear her dad's name. It's not mm-hmm. like she's not actively trying to be like, I want to be part of the club. I want exactly. to be a superhero too. Yeah. You know, she's not like the, uh, what's the character from the Incredibles, the sidekick guy who's like the, the suck up to the Incredibles uh, in the first one. I don't remember, but he's, he ends up being the bad guy. The Jason Lee character. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> she's not anything like that where it's right. like, I love, which is actually kind of what, uh, Carrie Kelly is in uh, Dark Knight Returns in in mm. uh, Dark Knight Returns as Robin. She's essentially, you know, she makes a makeshift Robin costume and right. then just starts showing up trying to help Batman be Robin. Yeah. And he's so and, old and uh, out of his mind. He's like, yeah, whatever you can do. Yeah, this. sure. Whatever. You look like a young boy. It's fine. <laughs> um, also, my favorite <laughs> my favorite part of this episode is after they save matches Malone and Robin brings him his batman suit in a suitcase and he hit he opens it and bruce starts taking off his shirt and he looks over at barbara and he's like do you mind and i it's like i do you mind i need to get dressed in front of this young boy now you can't watch robin can watch me you can't yes or else it's weird (laughs) yeah you know uh that's the other thing about this episode batman kind of not a great day for batman uh, uh, he's his, not. He is not on his A game in this episode. Dude, his, how many episodes are his disguise game is not there? There are so many episodes <laughs> where he's hanging out in an alley with mustache, like you said before. Hey, anybody hear about any crimes? Yeah, <laughs> he always gets caught. He seems like he's. But then again, in um, almost got him. He was Brock the whole time, and no one knew That's that. That's true. He does. He does a fantastic makeup job as Killer Croc in that he's, episode. Yes, he's good in a full body suit. But if you have to put like just a mustache, he's not good at getting into character unless he totally yeah. commits to something like and- Croc. And in this one, if you look at what he actually does in this episode, Jim Gordon's been framed for uh, uh, embezzling money and whatnot. And Barbara Gordon is like, you know, he really needs your help. Can you just show up to this fundraiser? And Batman totally shuts her down. Yeah. And then spends then spends the evening putting on costume makeup. Yeah. And then Buying goes a out and matches. I'm gonna be yeah. matches matches. Hmm, I wish I had a brand manager right now. And then <laughs> and then he goes out to the pool hall. And just plays pool for like the next twenty minutes of the episode. He's just hanging, which has nothing to do with anything, and he just gets lucky that he runs into that Bucktooth guy. But like his, and then yeah. after that, 
he tries to sneak in through that window and gets electrocuted. Not a not a great day for Batman. Yeah, you know that that threw me off. Like scaling a building dressed as Matches Malone, getting caught, getting electrocuted, and then being as Two Face had him hostage for most of the episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Not on his A game. <laughs> do you think? Do you think he he's a method actor? Oh, yeah. Where like once he's, he starts, put, once he. Yeah. Once he puts the hat on, Robin has to refer to him as matches, and if he doesn't, he just doesn't respond. <laughs> when Batgirl's like, can you just take five minutes and just show up? Just on your way to play pool. Can't you do that? He's like, I'm sorry. I, you're not I'm, – I'm not – I'm matches alone right now. I'm not Batman. Yeah. Like, you don't Once understand what that... it's like to get into character, Barbara. I just can't swing by rally, do my thing, kiss the babies, and then just go play pool. This takes time, you know. <laughs> Yeah, he puts that hat on, and then Alfred's like, Master Bruce, you have to deal with uh, Wayne Tech Enterprise. He's like, I don't know no Master Bruce. I, as you can see, I have my hat on. I am a man of the streets. <laughs> and it just gets very tiring. That's why in the episode where he's, uh, uh, he forgets who he is, because he oh, wakes yeah. up in a That's box. What, oh my he's god! Dressed as a homeless guy. I forgot. I forgot. I was gonna bring that up. I was gonna say, thank God, this time he when he gets electrocuted, he doesn't wake up and forget who he is. <laughs> if he woke up dressed as Batman, he'd be like, "Oh yeah, I'm Batman." If he woke up as Bruce, Bruce. But if he woke up in a costume he doesn't recognize, like a guy in a tank top with gray hair, yeah. like what? I don't know what I'm thinking right now. These matches must be a key to my personality. <laughs> oh man, well, a few thoughts I I had for this was. Mm-hmm. So many times that people should have run to the police and told them more information. So <laughs> Batgirl should have told the police right away when she finds that the henchman is at Gills, that bucktooth henchman. Mm-hmm. She doesn't mm-hmm. tell the police when that happens. Robin mm-hmm. should tell the police when he sees footage of Gill ducking. And I, I like right. that Gill ducks early. I like that that's the thing that Robin picks out. I think it's yeah. it's clever. It's easy enough for a kid show. It's a good visual. I mean, a real cop would probably notice that too. It's perfect. However, Robin fails to tell the police. And then when they're both in the building looking through binoculars and they see Gil write down an address, they should both tell the police where they're about to be headed. And they don't mm-hmm. do any of that stuff. Well, do they ever do that stuff, though? It's I mean, it's it's <laughs> bat. The show isn't Batman gets information and then calls the cops. <laughs> it's not it's not it's not Good Samaritan Bruce Wayne. It's it's Batman and Robin. <laughs> Well, I guess, but I mean, Gordon is in trouble, and they need the police should yeah. be involved well, more specifically. I think with this. I think their choice of bad guy actually kind of buffers it for that reason because right. this this Gil, uh, whatever his last name is, Gil character Mason, um, Gil Mason. Yeah, he is. He kind of falls into the category of uh, admiral on. Star Trek: The Next Generation, right? Where they're always right. bad, and anytime, you, anytime on a show, you bring in a new authority figure that is mm-hmm. supposed to be like a good guy, he's always yeah. the bad guy. Well, and, if they uh, thrown, if they had thrown a line in, it's like we can't call the cops because Harvey Dent knows a lot of police, and we don't know who we're talking to. They could well, have I, I don't even, like that. I don't even think they need to do that because he because of who he is, who this Gil character is. Right. I mean, your it's oh, it's yeah. Barbara Gordon's word against the new golden boy of the Gotham City Police Department. You know. But don't you think um, so they could think, have had a line, just a quick line in there that says that? Because I don't think that's crystal clear. Honestly, it just looks like they. Yeah, put- 
yeah, I, I'm I'm surprised that they don't have a scene where Barbara tries to go go the uh, go by the book, so to speak, and like right. tell Bullock or somebody. Yeah, or, exactly. Or tell Bullock. He's, like, he's, like, he's waiting for an excuse to go rogue. Well, I think I think what you would need is you would need Barbara telling someone who's not Bullock, someone just like or or whoever Barbara tells that person has to shut her down. Because for for those reasons, and be like, ah, it can't be him. He's the, he's the he's put right. away more blah blah blahs and more gangsters right. in the last month than I have my entire career. That kind of thing. Yeah. Which yeah. is then where she goes. All right. Well. Right. The cops aren't going to do this. I do have this Batman outfit. Mm. Let's see what I can get done. You know. Yeah. What do you think of a Two Face having planted a bomb in the subway that he luckily needed to flood the subway right after Batman? Yeah. Out? <laughs> sure. So that set, that set uh, the- reminds me of uh, Skyfall, where uh, part of what's his name? Uh, what the fuck is his name from? Uh, oh, no yeah. Country for Old Men. No Country. Yeah the, yeah, the bad guy. It's all part of his plan to get caught, and then part of that involves him having preset like a bomb in the subway. It, it's it's yeah. Like, yeah, whatever. Sure. Yeah. So Batman is uh, Two Face has. Uh, Matches Malone, who's Bruce Wayne, obviously, in the subway, abandoned, mm-hmm. showing him the guilt. You know this guy, I found this guy, this guy's a snoop. Gil goes, no, I don't know who he is. Uh, Batgirl and Robin show up. There's an explosion of some kind. Batman and Robin are stuck in there. And Two-Face assumes they're dead. But just in case, he hits a button and blows up another bomb he planted for some reason that was mm-hmm. between the subway tube and a reservoir. So now the subway starts to flood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I have I, a bigger... If, they, if he had just thrown a bomb into it and then water, like that would have made sense. But having pre-planted a bomb, that just yes. seems a little bit weird. I have a bigger problem with uh, Two-Face. I, I do like that Gil actually calls this out sort of in a line of dialogue. But my problem that I have is with Two-Face calling Gil and telling him to come down to this clandestine location so he can try – so he can ask Gil if he knows who this random guy he picked up is. <laughs> That's true. And Gil's like, Gil's like, you called me down here to, so you could ask me if I knew who this guy was. Are you out of your mind? You couldn't yeah. do this on the phone. Why would he do that? Why would he even suspect that Gil knew who he was? Yeah, he just picks up a random thug and he calls <laughs> calls his money guy and is like, "I need you to come down and look at this yeah, random guy." Like, ask everyone else you know before you ask Gil. Gil's like only partially corrupted at this point. Yeah, ask the Bucktooth guy; he might know. <laughs> yeah, that Bucktooth guy looks like um, someone else from Incredibles. I forget who. Oh man, I had it in my head when I was watching. I forget to write it down. Sorry, but he looks like the the way that his face is with those teeth. I mean, that was a classic character right there. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, he's he's a great subtle subtle thug character because yeah, it's just he's a big dude and he's just got big teeth, was but he, he stands out. The, was he in someone else, some other episode, or was it? Um, there's another big burly guy that Batman identifies. His name's like Bull or something big like that. I, yeah, I don't I don't remember. I, I, they yeah. all run together at this point. Yeah, that's true. Um, I, did you I, notice? Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, I like the, so when the subway is flooding, Batman uses his grappling hook, puts some C4 on the end and blows a hole through the ceiling. And I'm thinking, that was cool. great, well now how are you going to get up there? And then Robin takes his out and he's like, always bring it back up. And he Mm -hmm. shoots it up and Barbara is the first one that gets out of there and she sends it back down and Batman and Robin get uh, flushed away by the water. And then, you know, a minute later, they're standing on top of this subway that's projecting out 
it's crashed through a wall and now it's projecting out over what is now a waterfall. And Batman mm-hmm. grabs a handle off the side of the subway car, wraps it in wire and uses that. I like the progression of that scene. And it's such a, yeah. they could have had it like, he always has an extra one. He always has a whatever, but he actually, they went the further distance to say he used his up. Robin gave his to Barbara. They now don't have any raffling hooks. Batman has yeah. some rope, obviously. He grabs this and because he, he's like MacGyver with, you know, a costume. I just thought that was a nice touch and they didn't have to go that far, but they did. Yeah, I love that stuff. That stuff is great because, you know, the thing about having all those gadgets is it's it's always more fun when you take the gadgets away because you yeah. get gadgets that can do amazing things. But it's when you end up in a situation where those things either don't work or they have been removed, that's when you get kind of really yeah. inventive inventive with things. And I thought the same thing. I, right. I love the uh, the manufactured grappling hook yeah. out of the, the – the, and the, the other thing – well, first of all, I was thinking like I have seen Batman – use these grappling hooks to to swing around multiple people. I don't know why they all couldn't just grab onto one of them or if they, you know, but oh, yeah. it's not yeah. not that not that it matters cuz then that wouldn't be a fun scene either. You're right um, though. Yeah, cuz he's like he's him and Harley have swung up and down on the same one weight-wise too. I mean, Batman's got to be 250, Harley's 100 pounds. So 350. Yeah, Barbara weighs as much as Catwoman or sorry, uh Harley. Yeah, you're right. He should have just gone up Two at a time. Yeah. Yeah. So basically this episode's terrible. Exactly. I'm going to break it down to a one um, But, you know, little, I think there's a lot of little stuff like that, that I, that I really appreciate little details. The other one I really liked was when, um, uh, I think it's right before they send Barbara up on the grappling hook. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robin gives her two batarangs. Yeah. I like that. Too. So, so now, now she has actual Batman weapons. Yeah. Which is was- fun. It was nice symbolism, too, and that's what made me think about Alfred kind of hooks her up, too, from time to time in uh, the continuity, I believe. Yeah, in, in, in my head, that's the point where after she goes up, Batman turns to him and goes, what is wrong with you? <laughs> we don't even know her. Do you know how expensive those are? <laughs> um, I uh, This is a nice storytelling touch, but I like that at the finale, she uh, is taking Gil out on her own on a boat. And the scene ends with her finishing him off or whatever by the Statue of Liberty, which the Statue of Liberty mm-hmm. got them is like holding a sword and a shield. And uh, actually, I used that in uh, Curse of the White Knight as well. I made sure to reference that because I thought it was cool. But I thought it was neat that you have the Statue of Liberty, which is a symbol of female, uh, a woman who represents justice in the scene mm-hmm. where Barbara has just dealt out her own justice. And they actually have a shot that's just the Statue of Liberty. Like, they pan up to it. So I feel like it's one of those subtle things that people probably didn't realize, but they felt. I love that stuff. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's... And they don't bring attention to it. It's not like this big moment where you've got Batgirl, Mm -hmm. a low-angle shot looking at Batgirl standing in front of the Statue of Liberty, and she, like, salutes or some shit. Yeah, no, that's... uh... That's like the Michael Bay two version. on the nose. Yeah, yeah, um, but yeah, they they do. I mean, this is it's not it's not like the flashiest episode as far as a lot of stuff. Like the the story is fairly simple. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not a lot of there's not a ton of twists and turns to it. Yeah, but it's just a really well told yeah. uh, origin for for her I character, agree. and it's it's not even really an origin because it's all characters that are pre existing. Yeah. So you're not it's, introducing anybody new. Yeah, man, no, it's solid. I mean, it's it's not anything new. It doesn't reinvent the wheel, but there's no fat on it. Every scene, every 
bit of dialogue is basically necessary. Um, yeah, boom, boom, boom. They get through all of it. I thought it was really great. Yeah. The one, you know, uh, even the animation, I didn't think the animation was, it, it didn't stand out to me the mm-hmm. way some of the other ones have, like, you know, the Clayface episode and yeah. some of the other ones where it's like, oh, man. They brought the A team in for this. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was fine. It, like it didn't. Yeah. It didn't feel like the cheap stuff. Although, I feel like you've brought this up before. Mm-hmm. Um, but did you notice that Bullock eats the pizza backwards? Yeah, I was. Gonna say, I, when I saw that, I'm like, did I talk about this already? Um, I think you've. I think you've mentioned it like anecdotally. But, but this is the first time that we've actually seen it. Was it a character choice, or did the team not know? So, all right. So people haven't seen our episode previously. Uh, my teacher in college did animation, and a lot of times when they sent their animations over to get animated in Japan or whatever, Korea or whatever, at the time, that country did not understand how to eat pizza. So you would have a scene to show a character eating pizza, so a lot of times the animation would come back with the character eating the pizza backwards, because the Japanese or the Koreans or whoever it was just didn't know pizza. So in this scene, Bullock does the same thing. Is it because he's a pig who likes to eat crust first with the cheese falling out everywhere on him? Or or was it just a miscommunication? (laughs) Well, I will say that I think the the mid '90s was when they when Domino's or whoever came out with that stuffed crust pizza for the first time, and they were and they started doing the ad campaign where they were like, "Eat the pizza crust first, like a sociopath." And so (laughs) uh, maybe it was just yeah, maybe it was just you know uh, uh, just cross marketing that they were like, "We're going to take something of popular culture and put it in here." Probably not, though. I don't think they I mean, did that. So you need to make so that would make it complicated because, like, dear, let's just assume this is animated in Japan. Dear Japanese, please have bullock eating a pizza. But I know this is confusing for you because you don't have pizza there. Have them. That is actually backwards. how you. That is actually how you address letters to Japan. I believe. <laughs> dear Japan. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> um, the uh, one thing I loved about the the ending, the last few lines, is you could kind of read it either way. I'm curious what you what you think of this. So in the very end, it's Bruce and Dick, not wearing costumes, sit, standing kind of near Barbara as uh, Gordon is uh, excused or whatever. Everyone realizes Gordon's innocent, and mm-hmm. Bat, Dick says to Batman, "Like, do you think we're going to see Batgirl again?" And Dick's and Barbara and sorry, Bruce is like, oh, I have a feeling that she, we haven't seen her for the last time. And Barbara says something too because she overhears them. Now, you can either take this one of two ways: either they all know each other's secret identities right now, mm-hmm. and all that dialogue still tracks, or you can assume they don't know anything about each other's identities. She's innocently yep. overhearing a guy named Bruce behind her. She doesn't even know he might be Bruce Wayne or not. She could assume that those are just two weird. Lovers, one guy is much older, <laughs> just standing next to her in the crowd and making a comment to herself. Do you, how do you think that – what does that mean to you, the final few lines? I, I think I take option B, mm-hmm. that, that, that they don't know that either one is talking about the other specifically. Yeah. Um, and it just happens to be a coincidence. Right. Uh, although, I mean – you know, if we're being honest, Batman figured it out after like five minutes of talking to her. So. <laughs> well, this wasn't clear that. Wait a minute. Did he find out she was Barbara Gordon? No, they don't. They don't say. I'm just saying like Batman, the character 
generally would probably be able oh, to figure it oh, out it, very yeah. quickly. Because to skip to season four, there's an episode where Batgirl dies. It's a dream sequence. And Gordon mm-hmm. gets pissed at Batman. He's like, why didn't you? You knew, didn't you? And he goes, I made it my business to know. And uh, he says, why didn't you tell me? And he says, it wasn't my place to tell you. I always thought that was interesting. Yes. If uh, When did Batman decide to investigate who Batgirl really was? And what made him yeah. decide well, not to tell her, not to tell Dick, not to tell uh, Commissioner Gordon? Yeah, I, I think, again, I think he probably figures it out pretty quickly. Right. Um, yeah. Redhead, redhead concerned with the well-being of Jim Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> who uh like batman worlds doesn't you don't have to be the world's greatest detective to figure that but one. he happens um, to be that but he does yes so that does help <laughs> um but yeah i, I i've always i've always assumed that uh i mean that's one of the, the the really interesting things with the batman batgirl jim gordon relationship is that th- he does know mm-hmm. and gordon for most of generally does not know right and so he is allowing gordon's daughter to be in a i mean not that it's his choice to necessarily stop her or whatever mm-hmm. but he is he's allowing barbara gordon to take a lot of risks right and at uh and not and her father not knowing uh that one yeah. of uh his key allies is actually his own daughter right. is, is a it's an interesting thing because yeah, once once Gordon finds out, he's gonna be pissed. You know, right. even if he's like, you know, I always like Batgirl. Good on you, Barbara. He's still gonna be pissed at Batman. Yeah, I mean, uh, you could take it any way you want. I mean, what's more interesting if, uh, well, like, why does she continue to be Batgirl? Why does she enjoy being a vigilante, which is sort of de- by definition against the law, mm-hmm. when her dad is well, you know, died in blue cop. It's uh well actually interestingly um I don't know if you've ever watched the cartoon superhero girls on Netflix no. it's uh it was it's a DC comics cartoon done by the woman who did Powerpuff Girls and oh yeah uh, and My Little Pony My Little Pony yeah yeah, yeah I know and it's it is it's great it's really really good and uh, Barbara Gordon Batgirl is is more or less the main character and in that. Very kind of quickly, they meant they talk about how she became a vigilante as a way of like teenage rebellion against her cop dad. Right, that's, um, that's and a it's way not. To go. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's played very. Uh, it's a it's a very played for laughs type show, but it is it is an interesting way to go. Right, and I mean that's what makes her so fascinating. Is like she is one of. I'm trying to think if I can come up with another. A level superhero who doesn't have some sort of tragedy behind her origin, because mm-hmm. she doesn't. You know, it, no. she she just decides she wants to do it. It's not like her mother was killed by the Joker or something, right? Or I mean, eventually, eventually, when she becomes Oracle, she right. gets that trauma by you know yeah. her, her par- paralyzation like, from the Joker. Like for my my but, book, I'm, I'm leaning. That's what I'm leaning towards. Is like she w- she would be a cop, but maybe her dad is too protective and he wouldn't let her. And she knows that. Mm-hmm. Maybe she's too young. Sure. Maybe this is a way for her to get out there and make a difference and to elbow her way into the boys club um, and get into the action, which is also a good motivation. I mean, she is a tomboy, and I think it totally works for her. She, she gets along great with men. She's not intimidated by men. She'll elbow her way in. Just you know, She can take the punches that the other guys can take. No problem. Um, mm-hmm. And that's why she becomes a vigilante is um, 
it must have to do with her father, whether or not he would approve or disapprove, or whether or not she he he would want her to be a cop in the first place. Um, yeah. That's funny. The other thing that my the editors pointed out to me um, is Barbara historically has never had any good positive female role models. Sure. Yeah. I don't. And you take that whoever you want. I mean, again, why? Where is her mother? Is her mother alive? If she's alive, why is she choosing mm-hmm. to live with her dad? Um, you know, my first thought was, you know, Montoya could be kind of like a mother figure in a way. But, you know, in my book, all I really have for female, you know, is Harley, Montoya, Leslie Tompkins. So I'm trying to think about, like, what I can do to give her a positive role model. But I think it's really interesting that she generally doesn't have one. And maybe it's because, you know, comics for a long time were pretty sexist, mostly male characters or whatever. And mm-hmm. she snuck in and, you know, surprise, surprise, she's the first <laughs> in the Gotham. So, right. of course, she doesn't have any role models. But I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. I think I think a lot of the male characters have male role models for exactly that reason, where there's more, you know, uh, a lister, mm-hmm. or traditionally anyway, for a long time there were more a lister male characters yeah. for these characters to look up to. Right. Um, and uh, but uh, yeah, she. I've actually been reading a lot of Birds of Prey lately. The early oh yeah uh, Birds of Prey yeah. And um, she actually interacts with Leslie quite a bit. And, oh, interesting! And this is this is uh, after she's she's in the in the wheelchair, so she's Oracle at this point. Mm-hmm. And um, Leslie is very much trying to. She's the one who is trying to convince her that her uh, being wheelchair bound is not a, like a death sentence, and that she is still very capable. Of of being a whole person, right. even though she's uh, she's in this wheelchair, right? And it's a it's a nice it's a nice dynamic. They do, they don't do a ton of it, but when they do it, it's it's a nice. Um... Actually, you know what? That wasn't Birds of Prey. That was Batgirl. I've been reading Batgirl as well. The uh, Stephanie Brown Batgirl. There's actually it's yeah. a really nice thing that they do in that book because you've got Leslie Tompkins helping out Barbara, who's in clearly not in a great place mm-hmm. a, about her life. And then you've got this other character, Stephanie Brown, who is essentially doing what she, what Barbara did back in the day, where Stephanie's got this, she's got Cassandra Cain's bat suit, and she's putting it on and going out and being Batgirl and trying right. to be Batgirl. And so right. she crosses paths with Oracle, and it starts off with Oracle being like, "You really shouldn't be doing this," and then you know that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then they eventually come together, and Stephanie Brown becomes her own Batgirl right. with Oracle as her backup. But it's a nice. It's a nice story for her character to be kind of put in the middle mm-hmm. of these these two uh, other great female characters and, and and see how they all kind of like work together. It's good stuff, right? Yeah. Now that's something I should probably read then because I didn't know that existed. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's Stephanie Brown's a character where I I I hope she gets a comeback in some sense mm-hmm. because uh, the 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 little that I've read about her, she's really fascinating. She's uh, not not to turn this into a uh, again to do too much of a tangent about this stuff, but she started off as this other character named Spoiler. Then she became Robin, but Batman basically spent the entire time telling her that she was really bad at it, mm-hmm. and that essentially giving her the the talk that I was assuming he would <laughs> give Barbara, where where he's like, you know, you're not cut out for this. Right. This is you you know you're taking too many chances. Blah 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 blah, and then she ends up trying to prove herself to Batman, which starts a gang war in Gotham and ends up getting herself killed. Jesus, that got dark quick. Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah. And then she comes back. I don't remember how they bring her back. Mm. I don't know. Some sort of crisis or something yeah. happened and somebody punches through time. I don't know. Right. Yeah, of course. Um, that. But then, she, then, yeah, then they move her from uh, instead of being a Robin, she takes over as Batgirl. Mm. And uh, it's been really good, the stuff I've been reading. But then they, they did the rebirth thing and or New 52 and just kind of scrapped her. Right. Um, but she's a real interesting character. Right. Do you think Barbara is interpreted by most readers as Barbara's sexy or Barbara's kid sister character? I I don't think they're mutually exclusive. You know, um, I think it probably depends on what she's doing. Like I think in the and and also in in how she's being written. Because I mean, I think in the context of the Bat family, mm-hmm. she's probably more of a kid sister type. But at the same time, she and Nightwing have had a relationship in the past. And uh, right, Nightwing, yeah, she was with. Well, Nightwing. that's the thing is they haven't really done the big Nightwing romance. That's what readers have been begging for for a while. There was a one shot where they went on a date, uh, and they've always teased the romance. But every mm-hmm. time they get down that road, they you know restart the universe, and now it's the new Fifty Two, and they kind of right. put everything back. Yeah. That's one of the things that was explained to me by my editors was we've never seen them get together for real. Um, so that was one idea that that's, they had. That's really interesting that they've never pulled the trigger on that yeah. to like a full extent. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, I don't know. That just seems like that's, I'm like you guys want me to. I, right? I wonder why. <laughs> I don't know. Um, uh, that's the thing. It's like now because White Knight is its own universe, and I can do things without a lot of red tape. They're like, yeah, maybe they should get together. Hey, hey, idiot, you can do it. You don't have to ask anybody. <laughs> yeah, throw it in there. See what you can do. Yeah, I. You know, I mean, yeah, you kind of have you kind of have a blank check to do whatever you <laughs> want with the characters at this I'm point. Like, so what the hell? Really? Like I, I did political thriller. Like, I did. I'm not, really. I'm a romance writer. Like yeah, yeah, sure, you could do that. Whatever. Batman and Harley, <laughs> you made it happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a uh, political so, romance. I don't yeah, know. so that's that... make uh, make Dick Grayson a senator or something. I don't care. <laughs> that's why when I was asked to do this, I'm like, well, I need to talk to my to people I know who really love Batgirl, and I want to get this right. You know, I don't want to be accused of you know doing it half-assed or whatever. But you know, the the reason I ask you that question is because I look at characters like Catwoman, clearly mm. mostly sexualized, Poison Ivy sexualized. Sure. Harley Quinn was kid sister character, but then yep. she became more sexualized when they put her in the, yep. um, you know, the cheerleader outfit. Um, and even mm-hmm. when people draw the classic Harley, whenever they draw her as like TNA, it just, to me, it just never felt right. She's to me like the kid sister type character. Although, yeah, she's, right. she's sexy. Like she's like, I can, a female friend I can admit is attractive, but it's different. You know what I mean? And, right, and I always right, felt like yeah. Batgirl worked better as mostly the little kid type. Yeah, if she wanted to put on a cocktail dress, she would be attractive. But it's not the same as when Poison Ivy does it or when Batgirl sure. does it. Or Bat- well, yeah, I think, with, I think with Harley, uh, the, the reason you kind of can't escape that happening is because for a long time, her defining character is it, characteristic was I'm in a abusive, I'm in a destructive relationship with the Joker. So it's like a, she is a right until, until she got fleshed out. Her de- defining characteristic was one of the romantic relationships she was currently in. Yeah. So, and then, yeah, they, you know, crazy, apparently a crazy woman apparently means has lots of cleavage and short shorts. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. At least in, the, in comic book language anyway. Exactly. 
yeah, so after uh, talking to these two editors about all these ideas I had, they're like, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. That sounds good. And then I make sure they're listening. I'm like, yeah, then I'm going to put her in a, a, a really tight outfit with leather and a plunging V-neck and high heels. You, th- you think that's going to work? And they're just like, <laughs> silence. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know these women well enough to for them to know that I'm an asshole and I'm just joking around. <laughs> but uh, I, yeah. I think they know. <laughs> I don't, it was one case where I didn't quite know my audience, but luckily they laughed. Mm. Yeah, well, yeah, as long as you <laughs> can backtrack that one before, uh, before you hang up, yeah. I think you'll be fine. No, I did. I did. I, like, listen, obviously, I wrote two decent Batgirl stories already. Like, I, I'm not an idiot. I, I, I know not to put her in a plunging V-neck or whatever. Yeah, but I, I noticed a lot of my people, my readers, and I meet a lot of people, both from the left and right, and uh, a lot of dudes from the right love Batgirl, and they don't love her in a TNA way. They like her because she's a sure. good, well-rounded character, and they think she's awesome, which I think is a really positive sure. thing for female characters in comics and yeah. yeah definitely yeah i you know i think she really is kind of a fairly unique character overall because of that mm-hmm. i think she, her, her the circumstances behind her uh becoming batgirl and the circumstances around her being batgirl mm-hmm. and yeah even the relationships that she has with the other bat family characters is is fairly unique because yeah. even if you take another step outward yeah to some of the next level characters like Catwoman or Talia al Ghul or like Huntress or right. Harley. There's always, they're not, uh, there's always trauma built in there. There's always, you know, more sex appeal built in there. Mm-hmm. Um, she is fairly unique in that she is a, for lack of a better term, for lack of a better term, a normal person. Right. Yeah. She's not disturbed. She doesn't have a crazy dramatic event in her life. Um, Which, you know, I think that's probably, I mean, aside from the obvious benefits of of having a high-profile handicapped character, mm -hmm. I think that's probably one of the reasons why people um, uh, gravitated to her as Oracle so much is because Oracle, when she's Oracle, she actually has something that she's, like, dealing with. She has an internal character conflict, Mm -hmm. whereas... Barbara kind of doesn't really, again, generalizing, I haven't read every Batgirl comic in the world, but just based off of the concept of who her character is, she doesn't have that, like, internal struggle thing that most of these characters do to a different different degree. Um, And I'm not saying that means, I'm not saying that means she should have gotten shot in the back, (laughs) but uh, it's it's just an interesting thing to look at, the two characters. Yeah. Um, right. What would you uh, What would you draw on this? Episode? I had a good answer for this. Uh, I I'd like to draw the train sequence with the car under with the train car underwater, and the car mm-hmm. popping out of the building. I think anytime you have a panel where characters like high above the ground and you can put some negative space under them, it's always cool. And uh, I really enjoy drawing water. And I was going to ask you, uh, just talk about comic art for a second. What yeah. do you have a set of tricks you use to draw water? This is sort of like our shrubbery leaf conversation. You asked me about this. Mm. I'm like, and I counted at the time. I was like, I think I have five different types of leaves I basically draw. And I just re- recycle mm. them. And the same thing for me, I have the same approach with water. I'm wondering what your take is on it. Uh, honestly, I haven't really drawn water that much. Okay. Uh, you, you know, it's, it's the, all of the books that I've drawn have been fairly landlocked. Right. So, uh, <laughs> um, 
I, you know, I, what I will say, there are certain things that intimidate me mm-hmm. as an artist, and water is one of right. them. Um, specifically, how to handle reflections, because I, yeah. what I'm doing now is uh, the, the book that I'm doing, Bloody Hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of it takes place um, in in uh, World War One, where the rain is pouring, so there's lots of puddles and stuff. Right. And I always, I am always gun shy about how to handle reflections in water yeah. and how much to do, how little to do, what the, what the, uh, you, you're fantastic at that stuff. I, I don't know how you, how you do that, but it's, <laughs> it's, I haven't figured it out. When, uh, so it's funny when I took on the book called the wake, which is with Scott Snyder, it was sort of like the abyss, a lot of water in the book. I took it knowing, mm. okay, I'm going to get through my, I'm going to discover the mystery of drawing water. I'm going to figure out how I'm going to draw water. And every time I take a book, I know there's going to be a new challenge that I haven't addressed for. Like um, when I drew um, Curse of the White Knight, I didn't really know how I would handle fire in so many different Mm. types of forms. Like I've drawn fire, I've drawn explosions and stuff like that before, but it's never been so much of a character in a book that I had sorted out my the Sean Murphy approach to fire, so to speak. Sure. Um, so when I did the wake, I'm like, all right, let's get, let's, I'm a little afraid of drawing water. Let's get into it. I'm going to throw myself into the deep end. That's no pun intended. Uh, and uh, figure this out. And I came up with four different types of water. It's basically all for me. That's all I'm drawing. You have explosive water, which is if you take a baseball bat and slam it into water, if a character hits water, you need to have that splash drippy explosive water. Um, Mm -hmm. two is like mirror reflective water, which is my favorite to draw because I find it easy. You just draw, if you put the camera right on the water and draw a character far away in a pond, you can draw that character flipped with some creative, like rippling rings around it. And it's actually pretty easy. It's like, they're almost, you know, knee deep in glass, so to speak. Right. right. We have explosive water. We have uh, glass water. You have uh, flowing water, like the way a river flows over smooth rocks it's kind of like lumpy water um it's just right. sort of like the water has muscles to it it's kind of hard to explain and then the fourth kind is um choppy water so water that's been hit by wind so if you're drawing sailboat scene you have more more than likely you have choppy water and choppy water does not reflect at all which is kind of easy but mm. you need to have a new texture in mind for how you're going to ink that um and most of the water that you see is usually a mix of two or three or four of these types of water. So like even a river will have sort of a flowy, chunky water, but there will be explosive water where it, when the waterfall hits the pond or whatever, you know what I mean? Sure. Sure. I'm sure no one's listening anymore. I'm going to have to, (laughs) I'm going to have to pull out my copy of the wake when I start the next chapter in my book, because it's it's got, got Vikings on ships and stuff. So I'm going to have to figure it out. You're going to be dealing with choppy water then with explosive water. at Yeah. My, my uh, my method of of doing it is that. What uh, I wanted to ask you if you is it something that you like practiced beforehand or were you just practicing on the page? Because what I ended up <laughs> end up doing is if I get to one of those parts, I go, well, let's give it a shot, and then I draw it, and then I ultimately go, well, that didn't work. <laughs> I guess I got to do it again. Yeah, I mean to use because you use a lot of dry brush. That's not the way to ink mm. water. Like water should feel fluid, so yeah. don't use dry right. brush on that. In fact. When I ink water, I'll dip my inked brush into water so it's super flowy. Now, you're, when you sure. scan it, you're going to have to adjust the levels so you can darken all your lines. But you need to have water that's very flowy. Like, you really shouldn't be using Crow Quill on water. You shouldn't be using 
dry brush. It shouldn't be using angles. It should be smooth. Like you can kind of use angles on choppy water, but even then you got to be really careful. Yeah, it's, it seems like a simple yeah. texture, but if you dive in without having a plan, it could go wrong really quick. Yeah, I actually, I was doing a panel um, not too long ago where uh, there's this big kind of like uh, puddle area. Mm-hmm. And um, I had done one thing, I had hated it. So I, I, I got my whiteout pen and I whited the whole thing mm-hmm. out. And I just kind of did some 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 thin lines or something to, to show the surface of the water. Mm-hmm. And then I, I had my uh, uh, toothbrush out and I was spraying yeah. uh, droplets onto the page, mm-hmm. right? And this big, huge fucking blob <laughs> dripped off the end of the toothbrush, landed right on that part that I had just whited out. And so after I got finished swearing and my dog had gone away because he gets scared when I do that, I wiped it off. I didn't wait for it to dry. I just, I like scrambled for a piece of toilet paper or something. And then I just blotted it and wiped mm-hmm. it off. And after I did that, I kind of looked at it and I got my whiteout again, uh, my whiteout pen out again. And I put a couple white lines through mm-hmm. it. And I was like, man, that actually works perfectly as like a reflection. So I just left yeah, it man. in and it, it works. It worked pretty well. That's a uh, illustration technique. Uh, Bernie Fuchs uh, used to use that. If you look at the, uh, we were talking about him on uh, text the other day. But uh, they yeah, would actually master. like put a coat over the painting near the boat or whatever. It was like a clear mm. coat. So it would, if anything wet went on top of it, it would beat up. And he would actually just yep. throw down messy slops of water and let it fall wherever. And it read to the viewer as splashy water. And it was like a super easy technique yeah. that I don't know if he invented. I'm sure they all met together and shared their I secrets. Know, uh... A big airbrushing technique that I learned, I was watching a thing about how they do like goalie helmets in hockey, yeah. is uh, they, they'll take like a spray <laughs> bottle, spray that. it, <laughs> yeah, they'll take a spray bottle, they'll spray it with water, and then they'll hit it with an airbrush. And so you've got the beaded up water yeah. that hits with an airbrush, and then the beads dry, and it looks like water, it, the paint dries in the shape of water. Oh, dries. yeah. It's really cool. Have you uh, ever tried the salt technique? You no. uh, put down a wash, and you... Put, you just throw grains of salt on top of it while it's still wet. And yeah. it creates these like crazy um, psychedelic-ish patterns that uh, you really oh, – yeah, cool. it's like a super easy, cheap way to get some cool effects. You really can't control it too huh. well, but it is it is pretty fun. I'll have to try that for my next next chapter. It gets a little yeah. weird. <laughs> anyway, um, back to the back show. Back to Batman. Uh, my – what I would draw – Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's fine. Um, I actually had a, a kind of a, a, a subtle one. I really liked the scene, as much as I didn't like what he was doing waiting around playing pool, I really liked the scene where Batman reads the big, the Bucktooth guy's lips mm-hmm. through the telephone mm-hmm. uh, booth. Oh, yeah. And I was thinking about because they do the whole thing without sound, essentially, so it's all visual storytelling. And I was, I was watching that going like, that would be really fun to try and do on a page or so just to kind of really? work out the storytelling technique of, of telling of showing how he's reading that guy's lips. Well, I mean, we wouldn't be drawing the guy's lips like moment to moment storytelling, like an animator. Like now he's saying, an no, 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 okay. no, 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 okay. no, no, no. Just like trying to figure that out about how you would, how you would show that okay. visually, I think would be, would be interesting. Cause I, I like that sort of thing where you, take a moment yeah. to to just use a page to break down something a little bit smaller right. than than the the, the big yeah. the big uh you know keyframe moments you usually have in comics yeah. so that would be that'd be fun I yeah think. that's i mean i like that stuff because you would do like panel one you know you see the guy in a phone with panel two you see bruce standing 100 feet away 
Panel three, zoom in on the guy talking. Panel four, zoom in on Bruce squinting. Repeat, zoom in even more. Go back to the guy's face. You know, like that kind of thing. Um, and pretty soon yeah, you got a yeah. whole page of like silent storytelling, moment to moment. You know, by final on you know panel six or eight or whatever the last panel is. You know, Batman has the information or whatever. Um, I love that yeah. stuff. And that's and I, I yeah. always write myself stories that are so complicated where I don't have room to do that shit. <laughs> but I love that stuff. Yeah, and it always stands out too because you know people always people recognize that when you when they can see that you're taking the time to to yeah. uh, uh, tell the story in, in a in a more uh, specific two comics style yeah. way. You know, you know what's shitty about that stuff too though is when you send a script in and you have a page or two like that. That's the first thing an editor, a bad editor, is going to lock in on and be like, "Well, do you think we could like put some story in here?" You think we could put some word right, balloons? Yeah. If you don't add anything, any word balloons, it looks like we forgot to letter, letter this page. So the, yeah. the, the suits or the editors, or bad editors, I should say, not good editors, bad editors immediately hawk in on that and they're like, eh, we need to add some stuff here. <clears throat> yeah. I, I was, I've been surprised at how much of that I've noticed in, in certain places. Yeah. Um, but, uh, the, um, not that I'm saying all editors are bad, because I really don't need to get attacked on Twitter again for that. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, the, I, I really enjoy that stuff. Uh, and the thing that I don't like, though, is I appreciate, as, as someone who's drawing it, um, if it's written by someone else, I feel like I would like it in the script if it was just sort of uh, page eight, Bruce reads the guy's lips. Mm-hmm. Draw it however you want, because I've I've seen scripts where it's like stuff like that, where it's like, okay, panel one, he's looking at this panel two, this happens panel three. Then you're like 10 panels in and it's like, I appreciate what you're trying to do, but this is not necessarily the way I would go about doing this. And it makes it honestly hard to read Yeah. yeah, and hard to lock in on what the important thing is. So if you tell me what you need to happen on this kind of page Mm -hmm. that you want something kind of different done, then I can take it from there. I mean, you're so not all artists can do that, though, is the thing, because I have I'm writing for an Italian artist and there's a language barrier, even though he speaks English. Uh, and mm-hmm. if you don't tell him, he just won't get it, honestly. And even and you need to sure. explain it in detail, because especially because a different culture, some of the, the jokes or some of the this, this, whatever, it's just a communi- communication problem. Um, like you and I can take a script that's one page. It's like, all right, Sean slash Clay. I'm going to have a lip reading scene at a phone booth. Do it however you want. You have eight panels. Go. Mm. You and I know what to do with that, but some artists just don't know what to do with that. Right. Right. They see that. They see that as a two panel problem. Like, okay, guys talking. And then the next panel, Bruce is looking and that's it. What's, what else do I need to draw? Like they don't get the Scorsese-ness that you're talking about or whatever, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've noticed that I, I have, uh, I go back and forth about how much detail I like in, in my scripts. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I, I don't, I don't know if I like the, the Marvel thing where it's just yeah. a, a general breakdown of every page and you just do whatever <laughs> you want. I think, I feel like I need a little bit more structure. Than it that. seems kind of lazy to but me, every, honestly. <laughs> yeah. But every now and then, every now and then if there's one, one page or so where it's like, here's what we're trying to do, yeah. do it however you want. Right. Then I, I, I enjoy that. Yeah. If it's a contained scene, like a girl is escaping from a fire. She cuts out the fire escape. You have eight panels. Go. That's the kind of stuff I like. Yes. But when the page, yeah, exactly. When the 22 pages of script are so vague and the dialogue isn't even there yet. And it's like, 
All right, I feel like I'm kind of going out half-cocked here, but I hope you can figure it out when you get the artwork back. And if you don't like it, yeah, then it's yes. your own fucking fault for not writing a full script. But, you know, like you yeah, said, Marvel's yeah. been doing it that way. I mean, I imagine if, you know, Scott Snyder gets hired by Marvel, they're going to let him write full scripts because that's what Scott writes. So Right, yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen an Alan Moore script, but he writes yeah. like... <laughs> Pages upon pages for one panel. I so couldn't it's, do it's, that. Everybody does it differently. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't that know. I don't sounds know. like. And he does. I just saw one the other day. I saw <laughs> someone put a, a picture up of it on, on Twitter. It's all capital letters. It's like no paragraph Jesus breaks. Jesus Christ. And it's like just a wall, a, a, an eight and a half by 11 oh, wall of all capital caps letters. of Alan Moore like, screaming oh at you. Oh, God. Oh, boy. Anyway. Yeah, and then in writing nine-panel grids, like, I just, I hate nine-panel grids. I think they're boring. I know that there's a place for them. I think Watchmen is brilliant, and I get why other books, like, mimic that. But to me, it's like, comics should be doing things that other mediums can't do. Having a nice panoramic shot followed by a medium shot followed by a close-up and breaking up your panel shapes and sizes is what comics excels in. So to just do a Mm. nine-panel grid, it's like, God, man. Yeah, turn off off the oxygen in this room because I don't want to breathe anymore. Not not to not to start an argument this late in the show, so maybe we can do this some. <laughs> Is other it about time. redheads? But I, I know what I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I think there are people who would say that thing that you just described is something that isn't exclusive to comics because that's what they do in movies all the time. Whereas something like uh, the design put into a nine panel grid is very unique to comics. But each panel is designed to be read as a still of a movie, whereas the pan- comic book page. By changing the shapes and sizes of the panels, you can create a distill style work of art. And it's more enticing as an illustration. When you lay out nine panel grids where all panels are the same, you're basically saying this should be a movie or TV show. Uh, The only reason there are nine panels on this page is because it conveniently holds nine squares. And then when we turn the page, we turn the page for nine more panels. You're just missing out on so many um, things you could be doing and experimenting with. Yeah, I, I'm not saying I disagree with you. I just, I, I think. Oh, I know what you're doing. You're doing I think a clay, people... slow sip of beer, contrarian podcast statement. Oh, no, no, no. You'll know when I do that. No, I'm just saying I think I, I, I would be interested to hear a discussion about that because I think that there are people who would view it the opposite way. I'm not saying that I right. do. People, but, whose uh, books that be, sell, that be an interesting... people whose books sell less than mine, I'm sure, would disagree with that. <laughs> End of argument. Yeah, way to, way to, way to put your thumb, out of, thumb on the scale there. Anyway. Um, what would you uh, what would you rate this? Uh, I'd go four, four and a half. I'd say maybe a four. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I was thinking a four. I actually think this is one of the more consistent two parters as well. Because usually they're two parters. Yeah. Usually they're two parters. You're like one is better than the other. This one's pretty solid all the yeah, way. Yeah. Well, through. like you said, the writer team, uh, the animations. I think it was all the same. So yeah, like with Clayface, I think they switched it up a little bit halfway through. But this one was pretty consistent. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that's going to do it for Shadow of the Bat. Um, you know, it's it's funny. I uh, uh, I don't know if it was because of your the Batgirl project that you're that you're working on that it put it in my mind. But I I have been actually reading a lot of Batgirl lately, <laughs> yeah. and uh, I I really enjoy. It. I actually have been um, I have. Batgirl Year One on my shelf that I'm looking forward to reading, which is which looks that really that nice. is the go to. Both of my uh, female editors, not that it doesn't matter if they're female. Both of my editors said that that is the one that's by their side that you need to refer to. 
And I've read that one and I love that one. I haven't yeah. read it for a while. Um, yeah, yeah. The, great artwork. Yeah, really simple. Like I look at art like that. I'm like, man, why can't I just be simple? Why do I have to be so complicated with everything? This guy has like a five hour work days or something. This is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, I'm, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing her on the show again. I think she's a good character. She always, she definitely breaks things up. Yep. So, uh, that's going to be it for Shadow of the Bat Part 1 and 2. Um, we're going to do a little bit of creative jumping because there's a single and then there's a two-parter. So I think we're going to go do the two singles first. So we're going to do next episode, we're going to do Blind as a Bat and His Silicon Soul. Ooh, the return Ooh, of Hardak. That should be interesting. So Ranger, I don't uh, think a Ranger is an offensive thing. I'm looking it up right now. Oh, no. I'm looking up the word <laughs> ra- Ranger. Wait. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> All right. Well, you can continue to do that, and uh, you'll know if it's offensive by if I bleeped what it out. What does Ranger so, Redhead need for Australians? Um, Here we go. I don't think it's offensive. <laughs> but Thank you to everyone who's listening. Uh, if you like the show, please give us a rate or review on iTunes. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next time. Let me die, bro. Let me die.